0: Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we're going to recap the Marlins sweep of the Cubs. And anytime you sweep a big league team and I'll say that it's generous to call the Cubs a big league team. you got to be happy, especially given the way things have gone for the Marlins as of late. It was a fun series to watch no matter who they're playing, and uh, the Lewis Brinson Show continues. The Lewis Brinson Show has been amazing. I also have another gripe with Baseball America, which I'm going to vent with you all because Baseball America ranked the Marlins system 12th in baseball. 12th, which to me is the most outrageous thing I've ever seen. And I'm going to talk about that as well. And as you know, I do a lot of prospect coverage, whether it's for just baseball or locked on MLB prospects. And I try to remain pretty objective when it comes to the Marlins system. If anything, I feel like I'm a bit harder on the Marlins prospects because I see them so much more and uh, watch so much more of their game-to-game performances. And... I'm just very surprised to see some of the write-ups and the takeaways that the Baseball America publication had on the Marlins. A lot of it doesn't really make sense, so I'm going to talk about that as well. But let's start with this series where the Marlins swept the Cubs, and the Cubs have lost 11 straight. Uh, They've basically been the worst team in baseball since the deadline, which makes sense because they traded essentially everybody. But the Marlins still had to hit a little bit, and Alec Mills was a guy that came out and actually pitched well against them last time held his own this time too. only surrendered two earned runs but the Marlins racked up a ton of hard hit balls against him and then were able to get to some of the other guys in the bullpen as well in that final game of the series but the offense was pretty consistent throughout the series and I think the big takeaway though was that Eliezer Hernandez looked strong that was really encouraging I talked about on the last episode how I really wanted to see him put together a handful of good starts going into the offseason so the Marlins have an idea of what they're doing with him, and maybe even have an ability to trade him. It gives them more flexibility the better he performs, and he looked really good, again against a lineup that is not great, and he is somebody that pounds the strike zone, so he's going to take advantage of weaker lineups, but I still want to talk about that performance because I came away... Uh, feeling very good about Eliezer's return. Of course, this injury that he's returning from this time around wasn't arm-related, so more time off to rest that arm. Worst-case scenario, it was the hamstring running around the bases in his first game back after having the arm injury. But he goes five and a thirds, four hits, one earned run, One walk, four Ks. That one earned run came on a solo shot. So overall, a very good outing from Eliezer Hernandez. He also showed the changeup a lot more than we were used to, which was also a very, very good sign from the right-hander. I also want to get into Zach Thompson's start, another quality start from Thompson and another player, That would really help the Marlins if he finishes strong to the year. Just gives them a bit more and another card in their pocket that they could potentially use. Excuse me. But let's talk about Eliezer first before we get into the offense and Zach Thompson as well. Eliezer goes to the changeup. A total of nine times in that outing. Still not a ton, but out of 82 pitches, that's 11% of the pitches he threw were change-ups. That's all he needs to do, really. It's all he needs to do. He just has to mix in that changeup against left-handed hitters because the fastball slider combination just isn't going to be enough against lefties. To just mix in an average changeup even would be great, but he actually flashed some really good stuff from that change. Of the nine times he threw it, he got two whiffs, And a called strike. So it was a good pitch for him. It was usable. He didn't really give up anything crazy on it in terms of contact. And again, it just was enough to keep it in the back of the head of a left-handed hitter, which was really important for him because... Again, the fastball slider is great. The fastball, he locates well. It's not the most electric pitch. It's more in the 90-mile-per-hour range. That's where he hovered around. In this game, it was around 90.4 miles per hour, topped out at 92.7. But because of his ability to locate it and the slider being his really good out pitch, which he was able to rack up four whiffs on the slider, four whiffs on the fastball, And then the pair of whiffs on the changeup, as I mentioned earlier, if he mixes it up like that, even just that much, he could be a really solid middle of the rotation to back end of the rotation starter. I think he's got the upside of a 3 if he can get that slider and changeup working enough. The slider, again, is a really good pitch. The changeup flashed some really impressive – it flashed plus at some points when he threw it and when he located it in the right spot. And when he's able to locate that fastball at the knees and then a fading changeup that drops off the table – He could be a very, very serviceable starter. And we've already seen that. We've already seen that he can be that guy. He dominated through the minor leagues in his rehab assignments because of his really strong command. That's always going to be something that works for him. So to have a third average pitch even... Would make him play up even more with that command that he offers. So excited to see how he does against a better lineup. As somebody that pounds the zone, you can get away with pounding the zone against a lineup that is mostly AAA dudes or quadruple A dudes. So it'll be a good test. But this was a great, almost quadruple A rehab assignment. After having the rehab assignments in the minor leagues, this was a great start to ease his way in. 10 swings and misses, you'll take that in an outing his first outing back that was more than Alec Mills, who had nine and turned in a decent outing himself. When we look at the Marlins offense for that series, before I talk about Zach Thompson, I can't say enough about Lewis Brinson. Let's just extrapolate over to the last 13 games for Lewis Brinson. 396, 442, 750 slash line. That's an 1192 OPS, four home runs, 17 driven in, four walks, 10 strikeouts. I mean, this is a different guy. I just can't believe what we're seeing here. And uh, I know it hasn't been quite long enough yet, but this is the best stretch by a good margin in Lewis Princeton's career. So hold on to your hats. Let's just see how this goes for the next month and a half. Brian De La Cruz. I have been very happy with De La Cruz. The one thing I will say, though, is he's not going to walk. He's not going to walk, and he does chase sliders a lot. I think that we're going to see Major League Baseball start to come around to that. They're going to start to see that De La Cruz uh, – mashes fastballs and does have the propensity to chase right on right sliders. And let's see how he adjusts to that because I know that the game, the pitchers are going to get that report and they're going to start throwing him more and more sliders. But for now he has been fantastic. 340, 367, 511 slash line in his 13 games as a Marlin, only two walks against 17 strikeouts, but 16 hits and 47 at bats. That'll play. He's left the yard twice as well. We've seen phenomenal defense In the corners. He's capable of playing center field as well, but he runs down everything in the corners. He's had a couple rookie mistakes trying to slide and catch a ball that maybe you pull up on and catch on a hop, but it's fine. It's fine. Overall, I've been really impressed with the defense out there, I've been impressed with the bat and the athleticism. He could be a decent outfield piece for the Marlins, and at the very worst, we know he's a big leaguer. At the very worst, you've got a legitimate top-of-the-line fourth outfielder in the worst-case scenario, always with a little bit more of upside still at 24 years old. Jesus Aguilar heating up again, which is always fun to see. He's up and down, but... He pretty much remains consistent in one thing, which is driving in runs. And he's done just that over the last 11 games, drove in nine, left the yard a couple times in this series. And all of a sudden just continues to sit at the top of the national league in RBI, which is crazy. You figure that was going to end at some point, but he continues to just drive in runs. He's so good with runners on third base in less than two outs. He's so good in RBI situations, and we've seen that this year. Brian Anderson showing some signs of life. That's really good as well. That three-run shot was a blast. He's starting to come around, and I I think for him, it's just been one of those years where he hasn't been able to get enough consistent at-bats. Every time he starts to get, it seems like, acclimated, he goes down again with a little bit of a tweak or an injury or whatever it may be. So let's see how he finishes over the next month or so here at third base. He's playing great defense as always, and the power is going to be there. Let's just see the hit tool and how that continues as the year goes on. But he has been somebody that is always streaky in his own regard. And I think he's going to finish the year strong here. And it's going to be interesting if he does finish the year strong over the next month here and how the Marlins decide to proceed. There's not really a better option at third base in the free agent market. There's not that many options in terms of the trade market, unless you want to go crazy for Jose Ramirez, which the Marlins are capable of doing if they wanted to. But it seems like they may look to upgrade in other positions, even though they've been kind of non-committal to Brian Anderson. And with the struggles right now, it doesn't seem like a good time to trade him. He's much more capable than what we've seen from him in a banged-up season. But we have to start talking about the injury concerns as well. He is not just, uh, the injury risks are not really just exclusive to this year. This has been something that we've seen in the past. Some of it's been bad luck. Some of it has been just a propensity of getting injured. So it is worth discussing that side of things as well. With him just not really being available all the time. But getting to Zach Thompson, because Zach Thompson put in another good start for the Marlins. And you look at his numbers now over the entire season the ERA back under three, a 291 ERA in 11 starts. He's punched out. 48 and 52 and two thirds innings, a 3.6 FIP, so it's not too far off from the ERA. You figured the FIP would be higher than the ERA just because you'd never expect Zach Thompson to be somebody that pitches to a 2.91 ERA uh, in 11 starts, especially given what he was doing in AAA before. So the fact that the FIP is still under four and pretty strong, the whip is at 1.1, he's been really, really solid this year. And it's because of his improvements and his adaptability and how much he just keeps hitters on their toes. He has so many different pitches that he mixes up and throws in different counts. And he did just that in the last start. He threw, I believe it was five different pitches in that outing. He went to the cutter 30 times. He went to the changeup 17, the four seamer 13 times, the curveball seven times, and a sinker five times. And overall was able to use each of those pitches to turn in a really good outing. The Marlins went kind of light with him because they didn't want him to throw too many pitches given that it was his first real start back after coming back from injury. But he goes six innings, four hits, one earned run, no walks, three Ks. He could have went the distance. He only had 72 pitches. Of course, we talk about how the Marlins wanted to ease him back in, and that's exactly what they did, but he could have went way deeper. I will say that Thompson, similar to Eliezer, is somebody that pounds the strike zone and against a lineup that featured Rafael Ortega, Frank Schwindel, Pat Wisdom, Ian Happ, David Bode, Austin Roma, and on and on and on. Uh, You can probably get away with pounding the strike zone a bit more. He only gave up three hard hit balls in that entire game, but it's not like Thompson hasn't been good otherwise. So to see him go six innings here, still some big league hitters in that lineup. And some of those guys have been swinging it. I mean, Ortega had been swinging it pretty well up to that point. Schwindel swung it well all series. And Pat Wisdom has been good this season as well. So Still a great outing from Thompson, no matter how you spin it. Super efficient with those 72 pitches and just continues to bolster those numbers. It starts to get to the point now where the sample size is big enough to say, hey, this is kind of legit. 11 starts is getting there. If he finishes this season, like I said in the last episode, 15 starts with an ERA in the low threes or even below that, where it's at right now at 2.91, you got to give this guy some respect and you have to wonder if teams may be interested in him in the offseason. Yes, he's 27 years old, but he's controllable. He's cheap. He's six foot seven and has this adaptability. By all accounts, an awesome guy as well from what I've heard. Really good for the clubhouse. I don't know how people would not be interested in Zach Thompson if you want to bolster your rotation in the back end and don't want to pay a massive amount. This could be a good piece for the Marlins to look to deal, but I, I really do like him. But i got to figure one of Eliezer or Zach Thompson's got to go at some point. And you have the injury concerns with Eliezer. Yes, Thompson came back from an injury, but he seems more durable. Six foot seven, not a lot of effort in those mechanics. Yes, he's coming off of an injury, but came back pretty quickly and seems to have not missed a beat. So that is always great to see. And as for how he was able to attack these Cubs hitters in this outing, what I always say about him, what I really like, is that he comes with a different look almost every outing. A different look. You don't know what you're going to get. You know the cutter is his bread and butter there, but he is always going to mix in different pitches. Didn't go to the curveball as much in this outing only threw it seven times, but when he did, he was able to rack up two whiffs out of those seven times that he threw it. The changeup was his go-to out pitch in this one where he racked up five whiffs on that. And of course the cutter being his main pitch that he threw three swings and misses on that, but seven called strike whiffs, 20 called strike whiffs in the ball game. Not bad at all, given that he threw just 72 pitches in this one. So strong outing from Thompson and excited to see how he does also against a good lineup. Before I talk about Baseball America and where they are a little bit off in this regard with where they rank the Marlin system, I just want to go back to Lewis Brinson one more time because whether you believe that this is for real or not, you have to just appreciate what this kid is doing and how amazing it has been to see him just have this rapid clicking moment and I almost wonder because so much of it is between the ears and I was talking about this on Outside the Box with Jeff Conine because Jeff was saying people don't realize how much pressure there is when you get called up from the minor leagues to the majors because there's so much more than what meets the eye it's not just the higher level of competition it's also the fact that In the minor leagues, you don't have the pressure to win. Now you're getting brought up. You have to perform right away. People are micromanaging you. People are looking at everything you do. And imagine you're the centerpiece in a trade for Christian Jelic. Even more so, you're going to have that pressure. With Brinson, it seemed like so much of it was mental because you can't put up those numbers in the minor leagues like he did and then be as bad as he has been in the major leagues. That being said, it's also really rare to see somebody put together 900 plate appearances of not even mediocre, of being terrible, and then just putting it together here at 27 years old. But crazier things have happened in baseball, so I'm going to ride this wave, and I'm enjoying it. But so far, it has been pretty wild to see. The fact that he already has seven home runs, that's more than he had in his previous 500 plate appearances. The biggest key for me as well is that he is catching up to the heater. That's something he was never really doing before. The swing was too long, and as a result, he was always cheating for velocity when you're cheating for velocity and you get a slider Uh, you're going to get caught out on that front foot and that's exactly what was happening with Brinson in the past. He's hitting 3.44 against the heater this year with four jacks. He's still struggling against the breaking ball a little bit, but plenty of players have success despite struggling with the breaking ball and he still has hit two home runs on curve balls and he's been really good against off speed as well, which means he's staying back. If you're not cheating, then you're going to be able to stay back on the breaking ball. If you trust that you can catch up to the heater, then you're going to be able to stay back and react on the off speed stuff and that's exactly what we're seeing. He's hitting 353 against the changeup, and we're seeing that body control much improved in that regard as well. There's definitely some tangible improvements with Lewis Brinson. This doesn't mean he's going to reach his ceiling, but he can be a pretty darn serviceable player if he continues to make these improvements. But I mean, if he continues on this track, then he's more than just a serviceable player. He's kept the strikeout rate in check. I'd like to see him walk a little bit more. He has not been walking yet a ton, but there have been better at bats where I've seen him lay off of two strike pitches that we haven't seen him lay off, get himself into hitters count. So I think those walks will come along later uh, as he continues to put together good ABs. And we've seen him walk a couple times in his last four games, which is still better than what we've seen in the past. And I believe in his last eight games, he's walked about four times. It's been better. He hasn't had any multiple strikeout games. Since August 4th, which is pretty solid to not strike out more than once in a ball game since August 4th is something we really haven't seen from Brinson either. I'll take 10 straight games without a multi strikeout performance from Lewis Brinson any day of the week. So a lot of encouraging things. I'm going to still be cautiously optimistic. We're going to tread a bit lightly, but still, this has been a very, very exciting development for the Marlins, for Lewis Brinson. And no matter whether you think this is for real or not. You gotta just root for this guy because he's been through the ringer, it's been a lot, it's been a hard couple years for him, and I am incredibly happy for Lewis Brinson. I'm gonna talk about the Baseball America side of things in just a second before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar has so many delicious flavors, there's something for everybody Whether it's coconut, cherry, barcia, raspberry, mint, brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, or German chocolate, there is an option for everybody. And best of all, they are low in calories, low in sugar, low in carbs, and high in protein. All about 130 to 180 calories. Amazing flavors. All tasty. Covered in chocolate. Easy to chew. Great for a keto diet. And did you know that Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team? If you go to built.com and use a promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order at builtbar.com. Also brought to you in part by Stat Hero. Do you know that 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose? It's not that surprising. The game is rigged against you. You're playing against thousands of other lineups, not to mention experts who have tools and more time. You don't stand a chance. Introducing Stat Hero, the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and winning within reach. Here's how it works: Stat Hero shows you their lineup and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a day-to-day, head-to-head matchup in fantasy baseball. You name the stakes, winner take all. For once, you have the advantage because Stat Hero is showing you their lineups ahead of time. Nobody else does that. You're in total control. Stat Hero is DFS the way it is meant to be one on one. Play Stat Hero now and change the odds. All you have to do is go to stathero.com slash locked on and sign up for free. That's stathero.com slash locked on right now to sign up for free. And you can get three times back on your first play. That's stathero.com backslash locked on to get that three times on your first play. They're giving a 300% match. That's also unheard of. StatHero.com slash locked on. Lastly, brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action, baseball seasons in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and your UFC and MMA action. Before next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device to check out all the great sporting news. Sign up for bonuses and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in on the action as teams... Prep for their playoff runs. If you use the promo code Locked On, that's one word Locked On, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. That's 50% free money by just using the promo code Locked On. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So let's talk Baseball America, and let me preface with this because I am a subscriber to Baseball America, obviously, and I really do enjoy a lot of their write-ups. I think they do a great job in general. But I've been surprised with the way they have covered specifically the Marlins system this year. And I have to wonder, I have to wonder how much they've actually seen some of these Marlins players uh, based on what I'm reading and based on what I'm seeing from Baseball America, especially because I've seen a lot of these guys. I've also seen some of the other players they're writing up, and it just seems to be a little bit of I just don't know. There's a lack of consistency here from what Baseball America is prioritizing in terms of the Marlins prospects and then some of the others. And when you look at where they ranked the Marlins system, which was 12th, 12th. And I understand the Marlins system may have slipped a little bit because of J.J. Bleday's struggles, because of some of the issues that they had with Sixto Sanchez being injured and whatever it may be. But you still look at this system, and even under Baseball America's top 100 list, they have six guys in that top 100. That Sixto Sanchez, Max Meyer, Jesus Sanchez, Jake Eater, Edward Cabrera, and Khalil Watson. Six guys in the top 100. If you look at some of the teams ahead of them, some of the teams that Baseball America put ahead of the Marlins, and I know there's more to the system than just the top 100, but the Marlins have a lot of depth. I know that they lack some bats, and that's the interesting thing is that... They do need to add some bats, but they did that in the draft. They went and got a Khalil Watson, who's a top 100 guy in Baseball America's eyes at 81. They went and got Cody Morissette and some other pieces, some interesting upside offensive players. Joe Mack is a highly regarded prospect as well. Not top 100, but good prospect depth in terms of just hitting from where they were before. You also have... Guys like Peyton Burdick swinging it well, uh, Griffin Conine, given where he was expected to be coming into this year. I know the strikeouts are still up, but it's been a very positive offensive piece for the Marlins as well. So it's just interesting for me to see what they said. And the write-up is what really just surprises me. It says this skinny, and this is the skinny on the Marlins system. Sixto Sanchez has been sidetracked by injury, and right-handed pitchers Max Meyer and Edward Cabrera have underwhelmed. Have underwhelmed. But the Marlins have a track record of pitching development that bodes well for them to reach their potential. That is true. Now the Marlins need some impact bats. That is also true. But what I'm really hung up on here, and I don't like to, uh, I guess, just harp on specific words that are used, but it's really hard to overlook the word underwhelmed following Max Meyer and Eddie Cabrera. Eddie Cabrera was dealing with some injury issues, so I will acknowledge that. But since he's come back, has been fantastic. And I know that both of these guys have walked maybe more batters than we'd like to see. Edward has been great up until AAA where he's striking out a ton of batters, but also walking a lot. Meyer has had flashes here where we've seen him walk a lot of batters. But if you look at about three or four starts, that is where a majority of Meyer's walks have come from. He's had a bunch of other starts where he hasn't walked a lot of guys. It seems to just be these kind of blow-up starts. But it's not even a blow-up because he still manages to turn in a decent outing even when he walks a ton of guys. So I would almost think that's encouraging. His mechanics are clean. He doesn't have too many issues with His ability to throw strikes in the past, it just seems to be a little bit of a hiccup here and there. But we're talking about a guy that was drafted in 2020 in Max Meyer that started the year in double A, started the year in double A, started his professional career in double A, and is pitching to a sub two ERA. And we're disappointed, we're underwhelmed by that. I know that the walks are a bit high, but a lot of that came from earlier in the year. And like I said, from isolated starts, you look at his last 31 or 21 innings, excuse me. He has only walked six while punching out 31. And I always wonder now, just how much are these guys watching? Because if you watch Max Meyer, I don't think you would legitimately have major concerns about his command. It was never really a major concern for me, even when it was going bad, even when we saw that seven walk outing. I did not come away really alarmed by any means about it. I mean, obviously, it was something I'm like, okay, let's keep an eye on this. Let's see how he develops and how he continues. And he's only fixed that. The mechanics have never been a problem it never really has been it was just more release point getting used to throwing that change up more uh, mixing things up a bit more and that's just comes with the territory of a guy that went from a collegiate strike zone to double a you're jumping from a massive zone to a smaller one and it's not really that same process of going through low a high a and whatever he went straight to double a so I don't really know how that's underwhelming when I look at Edward Cabrera I can understand the walks from the perspective of the triple a numbers he has walked 17 and 25 and a third's innings but this is a guy that's coming back from an injury and also he only walks six and 26 innings in double a triple a is where the zone gets really tight too so we're going to micromanage and say that he's been disappointing over 25 innings but guess what he's punched out 42 in those 25 innings and if we want to compile those two stints excuse me together 26 innings in double a 25 innings in triple a he's still put up a 1.1 whip it's still really solid I don't know how you can be underwhelmed by 86 Ks in 57 and a third's innings. And this isn't like we are absolutely alarmed by his command. Who is alarmed by Edward Cabrera's command? I don't think anybody is. I haven't heard that uh, really discussed as a concern. And if it continues, then maybe. But it really even hasn't. Neither of them have had issues despite their kind of uptick in walks. Neither has had legitimate issues of running into uh, big innings running into blow up outings despite their walks. So it's only going to be better for them as they continue to improve that command. And we've already seen it with Meyer. And I expect the same thing with Eddie Cabrera as command has not really been an issue for him since very early in his professional career. So if those two guys are underwhelming to you, then I don't know how to impress baseball America. But the other thing too, is what I was talking about at the intro here of this baseball America segment was that the Marlins have six top 100 guys here. The Rangers are ranked ahead of them with three top 100 guys, which one of them is Cole Wynn, who has been inconsistent at times too. Josh Young was bad in 2019, has been really good this year. And then Leiter hasn't pitched yet, though I love Jack Leiter. So we look at that, and then you look at some other systems. The Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox at number nine. I love Tristan Casas. Jaron Duran has been a great story. Marcella Meyer was a great steal there, but what? How is that a better system Then the Marlins, could you even name a legitimate, legitimate Red Sox pitching prospect right now? Realistically, their best pitching prospect, in my eyes, is currently in the Navy. And that's Noah Song. And I don't even know if he's ever going to come back and pitch. Like The the Red Sox do not have a great system. And I don't know what is making them rank the Sox 9 and the Marlins 12 here. When the Sox only have three top 100 guys too... And one of them's a first baseman. Another one's an outfielder who has had a blow-up year this year, but still comes with some questions. And another guy hasn't played yet. Or I guess has just started now in Marcelo Meyer. That is a very surprising one to me as well. And then it's not just the Marlins. The Rays are seventh. Seventh? The Rays are by my estimation, one or two. Either one or two of the best system in baseball. How are they seventh? It's just, I, I don't know. I know it's all subjective, and, and it's really uh, futile to get worked up on it, but I just sometimes I'm just so confused as, as to what they're doing here, what the rationale is, and I have to wonder if there's politics involved, uh, who they really want to prop up a bit more. And just so you know, if you don't have a Baseball America subscription here, let me read you the teams who have their systems ranked ahead of the Marlins. Seattle Mariners, number one. That's quite fine. Baltimore Orioles, number two. Fantastic. Kansas City Royals, three. Pittsburgh Pirates, four. The Pirates had a phenomenal draft. Phenomenal draft. But I think that's a bit high. San Francisco Giants, five. Eh, Yeah, I, I can see that. That's fine. Tigers 6, that's fine. Rays 7 is criminal, uh, but they should be ahead of the Marlins. Reds 8, understandable given Lodolo and Hunter Green, but still I think that system lacks a ton of depth. Red Sox 9 is hilarious. Blue Jays 10 is fine, but also they just traded Austin Martin and they just traded Simeon Woods Richardson. So I think that's a bit high as well. Nate Pearson hasn't pitched this year. Uh, Gabriel Moreno, who is one of my favorite prospects, has only played 32 games, has been hurt the entire year. Texas Rangers at number 11. Uh, You already know how I feel about that. So for the Marlins to be behind all of those teams, to me, is really surprising. And it, to me, just tells me that they're not really doing their homework. They're not really watching these guys play that much. And uh, maybe Baseball America is not the source, the resource you want for Marlins-specific news, uh, or Marlins-specific prospect news. Because to me, this just all seems very off. And also, if we're going to talk about the depth, how about Kyle Nicholas? How about Zach McCambly? How about the fact that they've seen Dax Fulton now absolutely shove? Yuri Perez gets the call up to high A, and we've seen outlets like Prospects Live really give Yuri Perez that attention and some others that have really paid attention to him. He is a legit top 100 guy as well. Where are those guys factoring in here? If the Marlins, who have six top 100 prospects, are behind the Rangers, who have three, and I don't think that the Rangers have any Dax Fultons or Yuri Perez's coming up through the system or even Kyle Nicholas's, I just don't see how you can really put the Marlins at 12. That's really all I wanted to say on that. I know at the end of the day, it's just arbitrary rankings, and it's all just for fun. But at the same time, this is something that uh, a lot of people cite and a lot of people point towards. And I think it's just nothing shy of misleading to put the Marlins at 12 here. Uh, But of course, this is something that I'm always going to care about more than the average person. Maybe I'm a little weird for that, uh, but it also is just fun to talk about and it's fun to disagree and it's fun to have a discussion about it. Uh, I can promise you that I will have the Marlins system in my top 10. Uh, I'm also reasonable. I'm not going to have them ahead of some of the other systems that we mentioned, but they are still in a very good spot. Yes, they need offensive help, but they just stole Khalil Watson from this draft too. At the 16th pick in the draft, they were able to go get In the middle of the first round, they were able to go get a top 100 prospect. Like, there's got to be some value to that. Uh, And yet, the Marlins system still slides here. Anyways, that'll do it for today's episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Marlins sweep. We got some more games on the horizon. I'll preview the next series and talk about the next series in the next episode. If you enjoyed my recap on the Marlins low-A game that I went to and the write-up I did on JustBaseball.com, I'm going to be trying to go to at least one more game in Pensacola to go take in that double-A ball club that's starting to really come alive offensively and might try to go to one more low-A game since I missed some of the Jupiter guys that I wanted to see. Khalil Watson also made his professional debut today, so that's really exciting as well. I'm very eager to get my write-up and my takeaways on Khalil Watson. I love the swing, but I'm interested to see the other parts of his game and see how those look and how advanced he is in that regard as well. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins with you tomorrow.